can turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7 today as we continue in our series on what it means to be a healthy church and to be healthy spiritually as part of Christ's church. And so let's begin with Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, we pray to you this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would indeed open our hearts, open our minds, that you would uh, renew us, that we might embrace Jesus Christ by faith and know him and know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was reported in uh, the news this week, there's a church in Cincinnati that was able to wipe out over $46 million in medical debt for people in need. How did they do that? Well, they maximized their donations through an organization called Rest in Peace Medical Debt, which bundles together debt from hospitals and buys it at a fraction of what's actually owed. And so Crossroads Church Cincinnati donated $465,000 to help clear 45,000 families of medical debt. The pastor commenting on why they did did it said, this is actually the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ pays our spiritual debt. And if anybody is in severe and crippling financial debt, they know how wonderful it is to have that debt forgiven but much more to have our spiritual debt forgiven from the crippling outcome of having that debt. We're going to find today that only God's philanthropy is going to produce a healthy church. And we need God's philanthropy. We see that beginning in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that word loving kindness in verse 4 is translated variously by the different English translations. The New American Standard, for instance, says love for mankind, or the New King James says the love of God toward man. And the Greek word in which the New Testament was written was a word that sounds familiar to us. It's philanthropia, uh, philanthropy. Uh, It's almost a direct transliteration from The Greek. Now, oftentimes when preachers sling around English words that everybody's familiar with that came from classical Greek or the Greek New Testament, well, be a little suspicious. Uh, The words don't generally translate directly, but this one, uh, it comes pretty close. We get a, a generally good idea of what philanthropia is in the Greek. The word uh, comes from two Greek words, philos, love, and anthropos, man, or human, love of man. And 
In the original setting, it was used often of kings who would express their kindness to people with philanthropy. And they would do, for instance, there's instances of slaves having, uh, being bought from their slavery through philanthropy. So we see that it's not just a matter of giving money. It's a heart of kindness, but it's not just a heart of kindness. It's actually tangibly doing something to help somebody in substantial ways. Now, there are consequences for personal financial debt. I was a campus minister for 15 years, and I would see students in debt, and I would counsel them as far as they were able not to take on huge student loans because it would limit them after they graduated from college. They'd have to get into some uh, high-paying job or a higher-paying job, and they might actually want to get into a lower-paying job that would help them achieve their career goals quicker. Uh, but they would, their choices would be limited by debt, and you've probably experienced that too. Maybe you're in debt, you'd like to go on vacation, you can't go on vacation, you'd like to buy that car, you can't buy that car, or buy the home that you'd really like to buy. <clears throat> How much more so when it's medical debt uh, or, or debt that keeps you from being able to get the kind of medical care you need? Uh, maybe you're scrimping on your um, prescription medication or you're scrimping on uh, the medical care that you need. And so there are, there are consequences to our debt our financial debt, and there are consequences to our spiritual debt. <clears throat> and there are two primary consequences to this spiritual debt. And the first is that it separates us from God. As we sin, we incur debt. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, at least as Presbyterians, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have debt caused by our sin. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We have separation from God in this life because of our sins, and we have separation from God for all eternity as a consequence of the debt of our sins. That's what we earn. That's the, that's the downside, serious downside of our spiritual debt. Secondly, we have death as a result. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But then we read the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see here, again, the philanthropy of God. And removing our debt, removing the consequences of our debt. So we talk about debt, and we have to talk a little bit about sin. What is sin? Put very simply, sin is God tells you to do something, and you don't do it. Or God tells you not to do something, and you do it when he says not to do it. And there are consequences from the sin in our lives. There's nothing more devastating than the debt that sin causes. And yet we have God as Father. And what we're going to find out in our text today, we actually have all three members of the Trinity that are involved in solving the problem caused by your debt. First, your Father in heaven sets his heart and his affection 
on you, this philanthropy of God, appeared in the sending of the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to find more explicitly about what Christ and his coming did, but let's talk a little bit about the nature of God the Father's philanthropy to us. In our previous office space, and some of you have come since the hurricane, so you don't know what it was like down there on um, 7th downtown, and uh, we had a church building, and then across the street we had an office building, and from time to time people would come and knock on the door, and they would look for help. They'd look for financial help. And oftentimes people would say something like this, if you'll help me, I will pay you back. If the church helps, I'll pay the church back. And I would say, if we help you, you don't pay us back. It's not a loan. It's a gift, right? And that's what God's philanthropy is like. It's it's a gift. It's not something we're to pay back. And in fact, it's not only unearned by us, it's not deserved by us. We've done just the opposite. We deserve just the opposite. Another example, since the hurricane, our social hall... Again, for those of you who are new, we call our fellowship hall the social hall. Across the street from the church, uh, somebody tried to break into the the front doors, those glass doors of the social hall. Um, They were thwarted by the the film that prevents the the sun from coming through. So they were frustrated in their attempt. Uh, But let's just say for the sake of argument that the, the person that tried to break into our building came to the church and said, would you help me financially? What would we say? Do we say, how dare you be, you know, to ask such a thing? Or maybe we would say, well, if you fix the window, then maybe we'll think about it. That's not the kind of philanthropy that God has. You see, we read, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, and that's, contrasted by what we've done, which we heard about last week and when Heath was preaching. Let me just give you a one-verse refresher. What was our status? What was our state? Verse 3 of chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We hated and were hated. That was our state. And so we see the contrast in God's philanthropy to us, his heart for us, his love for us, his kindness for us. He reaches out to us. Now I know of somebody, I know a grandparent that actually left as part of their will money not only to their children but to their grandchildren. Now, why did they do that? Did they do it because they could see that their, their little darling child was going to grow up and be worthy of it? No, they did not do that. They didn't know how the child was going to grow up, what the child was going to be. How is it with God? Does God give his philanthropy to us because we've done something in the past? And so he says, well, I see what good work you did, and so I'm going to give you my philanthropy. No, he doesn't do that. Nor does he say, I look forward, and because I'm God, I can see that you're going to be such a good person that I'm going to extend my philanthropy to you. 
just the opposite. He looks at us and he sees our dire spiritual need, our predicament, that we in fact desperately need Jesus to make the payment because of, because of it, that we're not worthy of it. Without it, we're lost. We're lost in slavery. We're lost from intimacy and fellowship with God. We're lost from God's good plans. We're, we're liable to death. And so God the Father then works through the Holy Spirit, second person of the Trinity. We see this here in the second half of verse 5, chapter 3. God the Holy Spirit removes our bad health and gives us good spiritual health. He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are three main words here, um, and those words are washing, regeneration, and renewal. And these three words are rather rare in the New Testament. In fact, they only occur one time each outside of the book of Titus in the New Testament. So let's talk about them a little bit and gather what this is, what's going on here, what the Spirit does for us. The first is washing, washing of regeneration. Last week, uh, we were privileged to, to have as part of our worship service a baptism. Annie Mae Laverman was baptized. And part of what we were saying in baptism was that Annie needs a bath. Now, I can assure you that Annie was, smelled just great. She was, she was very clean. Uh, and it's not about external Bathing is about baptism is in part a symbol and a sign. It signifies that we need a bath. That's part of the encouragement. If you're watching a baptism, you're encouraged by the fact that your baptism symbolizes I need a bath and I've received a bath through Jesus Christ. Not, not an external bath. In the Old Testament, there are all kinds of ceremonial washings that they did. And those pointed to a washing that was going to take place after Jesus Christ came to effect a washing from our sins and a washing of the ill health spiritually that we had. And so there's a washing that takes place. The, the only other time this word is used in the Greek New Testament is Ephesians chapter 5, 26. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We as the church have received washing through the work of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit we find out here. The washing of regeneration. Now some of you are, are budding theologians and, and you've heard the term regeneration before. Uh, this particular word is not the common Greek word that's used uh, for that term regeneration. In, in a sense, it, it, it simply means a new genesis. Um, we find that uh, the other occurrence of this word is in Matthew chapter 19, verses 28. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is speaking of what it's going to be like 
When he returns, the new world, the, the word world is actually not in the Greek New Testament. It is simply the word renewal, or the word translated regeneration. The renewal of all things when Christ returns. So again, we have this idea of this radical renewal that takes place. And then specifically the word renewal of the Holy Spirit. A Greek lexicon is said of this word, it means renewal, renovation, a complete change for the better. The other instance of this word in the New Testament is the famous, uh, the famous verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the same word. And so taken together, that shows the work of the Holy Spirit does this, this radical renewal, reformation, renovation uh, to, to those of us who desperately need it because of our spiritual debt, debt and our spiritual unhealth. Now, our house, uh, Susan and my house, has gone through some renovation. Uh, we've experienced a whole lot less than some of you. Um, anytime you have a hole in the roof, it's not good. And so, of course, we needed to fix the roof and we needed to fix the ceiling in our family room and... We needed to fix about half of the flooring. Uh, but some of you uh, have had to just tear your house down. I think of the Scarrets and others you know, that recently just tore their house down to the foundation. It's got to be lifted up, um, high and lifted up according to new code, and, uh, and rebuilt. And that's the renovation that is being spoken of here, a radical rebuild, renovation, with a view that it's not only going to be what it was before, but profoundly better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He renews us. And so taken together, we do think of this term regeneration. In the classic passage is Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And there's a, a change from, from hating, naturally hating, to loving. From naturally being hostile to God and separated from God to desiring God and running toward God. And the, the first thing that is evidenced by this renewal, this washing, this rebirth that the Holy Spirit affects is, is an apprehension of our need. And as we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, a running toward him to receive by faith this philanthropy of God and what God has accomplished. Turtles out on Panama City Beach uh, that are nesting, when they hatch, what do they do? They don't see lights on the shore. They naturally head to the water. And so you and I, as this renewal takes place by the Holy Spirit, when we hear the word of God, when we hear this gospel message that, that we can receive God's gift of eternal life and reconciliation to him forever, and we can know what it means to have a, a future where we're going to live and be with him and be united with God through Jesus Christ and we want that and we desire it and we want to turn from our sins and receive forgiveness of sins. And so he transforms you 
God does, from a hater to a lover, but we don't rely on our love. Instead, we rely on the love of God for us in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And so the Spirit pours out this renewal that we receive, and then we embrace Jesus Christ by faith and rely on him. We rely on his riches, his perfect life. We rely on his sacrifice and his death, his bloodshed, to take the penalty for our spiritual debt. And so we see, thirdly, the role of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to bring about good spiritual health, salvation. It's accomplished by the Son of God. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's not just something we receive at one point, but it keeps on giving. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, in Titus, he doesn't tell us how it is that we receive this justification. It's implied, but the Apostle Paul makes it clear that those who have faith in the gift of Jesus Christ receive justification. What does that mean? That word means that you're declared right, you're declared perfect in God's sight on the basis of what Jesus has done and your faith in that, in Jesus, your substitute, who came and lived for you and died for you. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, In Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. Jesus paid a debt that I could not pay. And he paid a debt that he did not owe. And his perfect life um, is the riches that I present to God. I have nothing to bring of my own. Simply what Jesus has done for me. And it's the gift, as I said, that keeps on giving. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have a confident, favorable expectation of what it's going to be like when we go home to be with Jesus. And then finally, when Jesus returns, when we're going to be made like Jesus in body, in perishable bodies, in light and soul, or Souls will be completely transformed. Now we're transformed, but have you noticed we still sin? But one day that'll be completely done away with as the renovation will be 100% complete. We look forward to that. We look forward to a perfect fellowship with God. We look forward to perfect fellowship with each other. We look forward to a, a new heavens and a new earth where the the results of the curse are done away with. There would be no more floods and hurricanes and uh, coronaviruses. These things will all be ancient history. We look forward to this eternal and wonderful life. And so we have been adopted. We've been made heirs. We've gone from rebels to being the sons and the daughters of God, to having this hope of eternal life. And so that it... It brings about a forward thinking. It brings about an encouragement for what will happen in the future. And in the present time, we know that we have intimacy and fellowship with God restored from this ill health rebellion that we were in before 
that God has changed that through his plan, through the Spirit's work, through our embrace of Jesus Christ by faith. I, I like this simple song by the group Petra that was written many years ago. Why should the Father bother to call us his children? Why should the Spirit hear it when we pray? Why should the Father bother to be concerned with all our needs? It's all because of what the Son has done. And so there's good news. God is the lover of our soul, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They have conspired to lavish this philanthropy on you and on me. And so we are to live like we know it and believe it, that we have ultimately received spiritual health from God. And so as we go through the ups and the downs and the pains and the sorrows and the joys, as we sin, we can confess our sin quickly. We can run to him and not pretend and hide because the sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Uh, Susan came back about a week ago, and um, she was my wife, Susan. She was uh, visiting our grandchildren and, and children, of course, our child, Chris, and his wife and grandchildren um, in Asheville. And she brought along a, a book by Paul and Betty Lowry. I don't know if you know, but Paul and Betty uh, are authors, and they've written several children's books, and they have a, a new book that's out. I find it on Amazon, by the way, called a house, for a, a house for a Mouse, A House for a Mouse. And so Susan was reading this book to our four-year-old granddaughter, Emma Rimes, and they were going through it. At the end of it, the, there's a part where the, the, the mouse prays at bedtime. And so Susan just happened to ask, uh, well, who is the mouse praying to? And Emma Rimes paused, and she said, why? A mouse Jesus. She's listening. She's thinking about it. Yeah, well, I guess if a mouse is praying, a mouse has got to be praying to a mouse Jesus, somebody that has come for the mouse, right? So, of course, mouse, mice don't pray. But uh, we know we do pray and we can pray because we have, one, God took on a human body and a human nature forever linking himself with us so that he might give to us the gift of eternal life through great sacrifice, through his death on the cross, his bloodshed, his perfect life lived in our place. And so we have forever union and connection with God through Jesus Christ. We know it. We've gone from death to life. And so have you been given the gift of spiritual good health? Have you been washed? Have you been forgiven? Have you been renewed? Has that happened to you? If not, receive the philanthropy of God by faith today. Leon Seltzer writes in Psychology Today, there are four reasons why somebody might reject help from someone else. The first one is that they might be too proud to accept an offer of help. As a matter of personal pride, they might feel that to take what you're offering them would be to admit inferiority, inadequacy, dependency, or defeat. And such a reaction could, cause, could be the case whether you're proposing a financial gift or loan or concrete assistance with something they're struggling with. 
Any monetary, any money offered them, even if only temporary, could make them feel patronized or as though they were some sort of charity case, pitiful enough to be offered a handout. Additionally, accepting non-monetary help on a task or project might be experienced by them as conceding an inability to successfully complete the work on their own. Guilty as charged. That's who we are. We are unable to succeed in the work that we've been tasked to do. We are unable to repay the debt that we have incurred through our sin. And so we have to humble ourselves. And so humble yourself. Admit your need. Admit your guilt. Admit your debt. Secondly, another reason is uh, they might feel too undeserving to accept the offer. And again, the answer is absolutely. We are undeserving. That's why it's a gift. It's a gift to those who do not deserve it. Thirdly, someone might connect acceptance with incurring a burdensome sense of obligation. Let me encourage you that Jesus' debt, has, he paid all of our debt, uh, that you cannot add to perfection, that you cannot add to the, the limitless sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, on your behalf. And then finally, they might associate taking from others as rendering themselves more, more vulnerable to them. Let me encourage you that God, our Father, who extends this philanthropy to us, did not spare his own son. And if he did not spare his own son, will he not also along with him give us all things? We know that God is in it for us. That yes, his own glory, but he sacrificed dearly because he truly cares for us. And he is, he is not going to uh, harm you. And so don't refuse God's philanthropy, but receive it. Say, God, I need it. I need to have the debt created by my sin forgiven. I, I want to turn from my sin. I, I trust that you have washed me that you have accomplished this through Jesus Christ and that I want to have this relationship with you that Christ gives and only he gives and I trust in his life, I trust in his death. I, I want to receive that gift. If, if that is what is on your heart today in faith and you have received that gift, God has changed you and made you a new creation in him. Wonderful news. Well, let's... Close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, this debt that has been paid by Christ at the direction of the Father and his planning and through the work of your Holy Spirit that renews and renovates us, that we might even have eyes to see and ears to hear the wonder of who you are and apprehend our desperate need. And I pray that for those who have not yet come to that point in their life where they've received the gift from you of philanthropy, that they would do that, that your spirit would be at work even now. And for those of us who have received that gift, that we would more and more be encouraged and that we might be motivated to live in the security and in the wonder of your philanthropy for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue our... 
singing our, our worship by singing uh, the first two verses of Jesus Paid It All. Let's stand and sing.